In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In Spike Jones's futuristic love movie, Her, Joaquin Phoenix plays Theodore, a man who's been separated from his wife, and after a period of loneliness, falls in love with his phone's operating system, which is basically artificial intelligence named Samantha. If you haven't seen the movie, it's a really interesting and fascinating look at what it means to be a human being, and what it means to love. There's this scene where Theodore is meeting up with his estranged wife to finally sign their divorce papers, and she inevitably asks him if he's seeing anyone. He says yes, and starts describing Samantha, until he eventually reveals that she's really just an operating system on his phone. Theodore's ex-wife is understandably thrown by this, and she ends their conversation by saying, you always wanted to have a wife without the challenges of actually dealing with anything real. Love is one of those complex features of human life. We can sort of intuit the shades of meaning of it. We can differentiate between parental love, romantic love, the love of ice cream. As we can see from our reading in Romans this evening, there is a strong possibility of something else masquerading as love. Hence Paul's injunction that we have genuine love, rather than one of its many counterfeits. Love is at the heart of the Christian vocation. To be a Christian is to be one who has been met with the perfect love of Christ on display in his life, death, and resurrection. It is to have been made alive by love and brought into the divine life, which is love itself. As we hear every week in Christ's summary of the law, to live rightly is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here, St. Paul is offering the church in Rome glimpses of genuine love, both within the Christian community and from the community of the church outward, both of which resemble the words of Christ. This is love, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Our posture toward those outside the community of faith should never be one of antagonism, but rather of peace, so far as it depends on us. Not peace at any cost, mind you. And a remarkable lack of vengeance. Members of Christ's church are to act with compassion toward not just outsiders, but even those who are our enemies. We are to offer food and water to those who wish we didn't exist. If we are to have any hope of achieving this posture, we absolutely must be people who have been saturated in the truth. We must be people who can own up to our own enmity with God so that we can see truly the depth of Christ's love for us. He didn't simply offer bread and water to his enemies, but instead has offered his own flesh as the bread of life, his blood as the wine of the new covenant. When we imagine ourselves primarily as enemies who were loved into friendship by Christ at great cost to himself, we can begin to love others with that very love. This grounding of our identity in Christ is the key to loving those outside the church and to loving one another. Loving one another is, I think, quite a bit more difficult than we often allow ourselves to imagine. I've experienced two different types of disingenuous love in Christian circles, and one of them is a bit more obvious, but I think they're both insidious. The first is the sort of angry, pharisaical love which lays heavy burdens on people demanding all sorts of ethical purity, and then searching as constantly as the eye of Sauron for any and all slip-ups, ready to pounce. This kind of love is rooted in fear, and it results in covering up our own sin and getting disproportionately angry at others for their sin. If you've ever been in circles like this, you know it's pretty difficult to confuse this sort of judgmental meddling with love. 
though for those that are trapped in such communities, the level of spiritual manipulation is high and saddening. And here's where our current context gets a little tricky to navigate. Even just several years ago, I might have suggested that it's often Christians on the fringe right who struggle with this sort of Pharisaism, this fanatic ruthlessness in the name of ethical purity. But as evangelicalism continues to fracture along cultural lines, the left is revealed as every bit as fanatic and ruthless regarding ethical purity. It's just that the emphases are different. Whatever the political persuasion, in the Pharisee camp there is a facade of hatred for evil, but there doesn't seem to be a clinging to what is good, and definitely not a devotion to honor one another above ourselves. The other sort of insincere love is a bit trickier, at least in our cultural moment. As I've said before, we live in a world that equates freedom with the ability to self-identify. In this setting, to love is not to simply allow, but to encourage the other to do and be whatever they want to do and be. This sort of false love has grayed over the dramatic complexity of the world. There's no longer evil to abhor or good to cling to other than being true to yourself. This false love leads us to honor ourselves above others. Both of these forms of insincere love are everywhere in our culture, and together I think they form the cultural mold that St. Paul tells us we are to break out of. The Church of Christ cannot simply adopt the world's modes of love. St. John tells us clearly that God himself is love, which means if we want to understand what Paul means when he tells us to love with sincerity, we have to come to know God as he is revealed in Jesus Christ and the sacramental life of the church. As our gospel reading makes clear, Christian love is sometimes confrontational, but it is grace-filled and it always has the goal of restoration. In the verses just preceding our gospel lesson, Jesus tells a succinct version of the lost sheep parable. The shepherd goes out after the one lost sheep and rejoices to find it and bring it home. There's a lot more to be said about Matthew 18 than we have time for, but I do want to point out a few things that should mark us as a community. The first is that if you've set up your life in such a way that though you call all souls your church, you don't know the sins of anyone here, and no one knows your sins, perhaps we haven't ordered our lives correctly. Jesus here assumes that if you are his disciple, his follower, then you live in a close connection with his church. We're not just friends who attend a Sunday service together, we are brothers and sisters. And some of us need to press into deeper relationships. To do so, we must be driven by love, not fear. To be in close relationship takes time and energy and it drastically increases the potential for miscommunication and hurt feelings. But to be in Christ is to be in close relationship with others who are in Christ. To pretend otherwise would be foolish and detrimental. But secondly, if you are in close relationship, guess what? People are going to screw up. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But we must see schadenfreude as anti-Christ. There is no room for taking pleasure in other people's downfall. Anytime a Christian fails to live according to his or her baptism, the goal is always, always, always restoration. Which is why Christ is so clear. When you are aware of a pattern of sin in your brother or sister's life, you don't go talk to someone else about it. You don't hold a prayer meeting and in vague but obvious terms spill the beans to everyone else. You go to that person and talk with them. I've been part of too many communities that get torn apart by gossip and slander. Too many people who are, like George Costanza, much more comfortable criticizing people behind their backs. 
Growing up into Christ requires that we leave such childishness behind. All Souls should be a place where we talk to people and pray for people, but talking about people just isn't in the cards. Friends, it is exactly this expression of love, a love that is willing to go after another who is straying and bring them back to the fold without going forth in superiority and judgment, a love that does not gloat at the downfall of others, but seeks the true flourishing of all. This is the love by which the world should identify us as followers of Christ. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. As St. Peter reminds us, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Amen.